morning. So glad that you are here, both here and and at Otis, and we're two weeks away from launching Freeman on this day. Uh, Welcome also to our second to last uh, weekend of this series called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. I want to remind you that the author of the book in which we're kind of uh, theming this series after, obviously we theme it after the Bible, but it's also been a help, is going to be here next Sunday. So Barry Cameron, who wrote that book, who's a pastor in Texas, will be here next Sunday, so I don't want you to miss that. Also, with it being a Super Bowl, in case you're newer to our church, there's a kind of an unsaid tradition uh, that takes place, and that is that people just wear their jerseys. So if you come next week and you're like, well, why does that person wear a hockey jersey, or why is it wearing a baseball jersey, or well, isn't that team already out? It's just one of those things. I kind of came into that, and so just want to kind of let you know so you don't walk in going, man, why, why am I the only one not wearing a jersey? You won't be the only one, but just wanted to let you know. It's kind of a fun thing that we do you know, um, on a yearly basis. Lastly, two weeks from today, uh, we do kick off a new series called Parenthood. Parenthood. Now, uh, as far as I can remember, this is the first time we've ever dedicated a series since I've been here in the last four and a half years to this subject. So if you have kids, if you have grandkids, if you've ever been around a kid, this will be uh, an important series, you know, uh, for you uh, or for your friend. And so I want to encourage you to invite your friends as we look at what the Bible says, which is an awful lot about what it means. He doesn't leave us guessing about what it means and how it looks to raise up another generation of followers of him. Now, if you've been with us through this series, it can be very tempting to begin to think, oh my goodness, all this church does is talk about money. In fact, this entire year, all they've done is talk about money. And you would be right. You know, you would absolutely be right. Now, the question becomes, why? Why are we spending, you know, four weeks or five weeks, you know, on this issue? Like, let's move it along, Dan. Here's the reason, is because for American Christians especially, but for people all over the world, it either becomes the barrier or the hindrance to our growth in Jesus when it comes to how we handle and use God's resources in our lives. It really is. It's almost, uh, I would say it's one of the top one or two discipleship issues that we have in relationship with him. Who gets to control? Who gets to lead? How do we get to trust God when it comes to our resources? Now, where would I get that idea? Jesus. Jesus thought that it was going to be an issue for people for all generations in all countries of the world, which is why you and I might be shocked at how much Jesus talks about money. Uh, He discussed the topic of money more than he spoke about faith and prayer combined. He talked more about that. In fact, Jesus often taught in parables, which is a, a fancy word to say stories to illustrate spiritual truths. And in 11 of his 40 parables, he talked about money or used money as an illustration to teach us spiritual truths. 11 out of 40. It's more 25%. So do you think that for a second, Jesus may know the importance of this in our lives, which is why he would mention it on a regular basis. So let me just clue you in just a little bit. If you ever attend a church that doesn't talk about money, they're not talking about the things that Jesus is talking about. Because you can't avoid it. You just, you really can't. And you have to be so intentional to kind of weave through because it's such an important part in, to, to Jesus in our relationship with him. So let me be clear, though. 
This series has been what we believe that God wants for you, what he wants for you. And I hope you've been challenged, you've been encouraged, uh, and, and that you'll continue to be, you know, uh, experience what God wants for you even on this day. So let's just review. To experience financial freedom, the ABCs of financial freedom is to first change our attitude. That's the A in the ABCs. So a few weeks ago, we understood that how we view money is how we're going to spend money. So how do we view it? What is our attitude when it pertains to money? Then a couple weeks ago, we talked about to avoid or get out of the bondage of debt. So Jason did a great job, and that's the B, the bondage of debt that we can find ourselves so easily trapped into. Then last week, we talked about the C, which is to choose to honor God with our wealth. And then today, we're going to talk about deciding to follow God's plan. See, it's one thing to talk about finances, to be encouraged, to be challenged by, to be convicted by finances, and to walk out of here and not anything take place that's different in our lives. But it's completely different when you and I say, we're going to make a decision on this day. We're going to make a decision that will change the trajectory of our lives as it pertains to resources going forward. But we've got to follow his plan, not our own. See, if you want to build a great life, a blessed life as God defines it, it's not just through your finances, but in every area of your lives, you have to do it God's way and follow his plan that he wants to give to you. Sometimes we think it's a forced thing, but it really isn't. Remember, God is the one who ultimately controls our economy and our income. In Deuteronomy 8, as he told his people, he's telling us now, verses 17 and 18, he says, you may say to yourself, well, no, 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 no. It's my power and my strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So it all goes back to him. So here's what we want to do today. I want to take a few minutes and talk to you about what is God's plan according to his word as it pertains to money in general. What does the Bible say about money? What does it say just kind of at a higher level, and then we want to get to the end of our time together and get to a decision point, okay? That's what we're kind of trying to do today. So first, I'm going to give you seven things that the Bible says about money. Here's the first thing. Earn it ethically. Earn it ethically. No, there is not a Nigerian prince that is out there that is going to give you money if, they, if you give them money. It just, it just doesn't exist that's out there. So those of you in their 20s, you can Google that and see what I'm talking about. There is so much temptation out there to follow the get-rich-quick schemes or to shave just a little off the top or at my company or, or just kind of move things around to not be honest when it comes to working for an income. But in Proverbs 11:18, God reminds us, a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Or in the New Testament, Colossians 3:17 says this way, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. So first is to earn it ethically. That's what, what God would say about what, when it comes to resources. Secondly, save it consistently. Save it consistently. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealthy from hard, wealth comes from hard work. It grows over time. Or Proverbs 13, 22, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren. The only way to do that is by saving over time. Now, I want to 
talk to you, those of you who are savers. If, when we first started this series, I asked how many of you guys are givers, spenders, or savers. So if you raised your hand when you're saying, you know, I'm really kind of a, a saver, if that's kind of your bent, I do want to give you a, a warning. Because there is a danger, there is a temptation when it comes to what I would call compulsive saving. See, the question becomes, am I looking to resources, my savings account, my future retirement, my 401ks, to bring me a false sense of security? In other words, am I trying to find my security in money and not in God? See, anything that we find our value or security in, the Bible calls an idol. Uh, let me explain how this can easily be played out. We offer Financial Peace University twice a year. In fact, I mentioned last week, it may be the best next step for you. We kick this one off in, in just a few weeks, and you'll want to be able to sign up and be a part of that, and that'd be the very thing that God wants you to take away from this series. And I've been through the class, and it is amazing. It's amazing. But there is a danger involved if you are a compulsive saver. See, the danger and temptation is after getting out of debt, which we kind of walk through Financial Peace University, after getting out of debt is to become this compulsive saver. In other words, when is enough enough for a college fund, for retirement, for wealth for my kids, for the generations and generations to come? See, the temptation is that that can become the focus of a person's life instead of the pursuit of God's focus for life. See the difference? See, Jesus actually talked about this, and he uses a parable to illustrate this very idea of compulsive saving when you're just trying to build up more and more and more to find your security and trust in those resources. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says it this way. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. See, there was a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Business was booming. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. So then he said this. Instead of thinking, maybe I should give it away, he goes, nope, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all the other goods. Wow, God has provided so much for me, so I know what I'll do. I'll put more in my retirement. I'll put more in my kids' college fund. I'll put more and more and more, and it'll be about me and about my life and about the things that I care about. In fact, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have had enough stored away for years to come, so take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. See the temptation and warning when it comes to saving? Now, is it wise to save? Yes. Is it wise to invest? Yes. And just make sure that when we do those things, that it's in priority and proportion to God's first place in our lives. Here's the litmus test question. Is my trust more in my resources, in my savings, or is my trust more in God? That's all you need to ask. And then it doesn't matter. The income amount doesn't matter. It's like, no, 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 I'm still putting you first, God. See, as kids, we try to teach them to give, to save, and to spend. In fact, uh, speaking of spending, that's our third thing that the Bible talks about when it comes to resources. To spend it wisely, to spend resources wisely. In Matthew 6, 21, it says, wherever your treasure is, 
there the desire of your heart will also be. And many of you have seen me or heard me uh, use this illustration. Uh, and this is what often takes place you know, in our lives. We have our heart and we have our money. And here's what we oftentimes think. What I love is what I spend my money on. True, right? So the things that I love, my hobbies, my kids, my wife, myself, my interests, the things that I love, I'm going to spend resources on. And that is true. That's not what the verse says. The verse says, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So be wise in how you spend things because God said that there is a link between our heart and our money. So what begins to happen over time is you will spend money and your heart will begin to care about those things as well. So you got to be careful. Like, well, I'm going to invest more into this hobby or this interest. And all of a sudden your heart will begin to grow for those things or for this person. And so it's not bad. It's just to be aware that when you spend money, understand it's not just this intellectual thing that's out there where we use our resources, our heart follows. That's the way God has kind of wired us. So it's not only where our heart is, our resources follow, which is true, but the Bible says where we spend our money, our heart follows as well. So he's telling us, you know, through the scriptures to spend resources wisely, which leads us to the fourth thing that the Bible tells us about resources. Tithe it enthusiastically. God loves the cheerful giver. We talked a ton about this last week, so I'm not going to say a lot about this, but remember that our core verse last week was Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. It's not for him. God doesn't need more money. It's for us to grow in trust and faith in him. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 23, 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the most more important things as well. It's not one or the other. It's both and, just making sure that things are in priority. If you're not tithing, Tithing means a 10% of all that God gives us, he's asking us to give back to him. It doesn't mean you should walk out of here or feel shame. It's something to shoot for. It's something to work for in the same way and with the same intensity and vigor that you would want to get out of debt. It's the same kind of acceleration with gazelle-like intensity that we'd work towards giving back to God what he has already given to us. Speaking of which, debt... Fifth, get out and stay out of personal crippling debt. Get out and stay out of personal crippling debt. Barry Cameron you know, says in this ABCs of Financial Freedom book, he says it this way. We all have a tendency to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even know. Mortgaging a future we won't be able to enjoy because of a past we can't forget, and that's why the present stinks. <laughs> I love that phrase. What a good, what a good saying. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says this way, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. You want to be in that situation. And as Jason talked about, let me be absolutely clear. Does the Bible say that all debt is sin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, it's completely okay to borrow, but to do so responsibly and to pay back quickly. That applies both to you and it also applies to our church. And so again, if you miss this, Go back and listen to Jason's message from a few weeks ago, which leads us to number six, the seven things that the Bible says about resources. Six, give it 
generously. This is above the tithe. Give it generously. Proverbs 11.24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Man, I see this so to be true. People who I know, who are followers of Christ, who have a lot of resources, are some of the most generous people that I know. And then here's the temptation. Well, Dan, (laughs) I would be that generous too if I had those resources. Right? That is the temptation. Well, well, of course, of course, they're generous with resources. Look how much they make. Uh, if I was that, made that much money, or if I made, added another zero to my paycheck, if I had all of those things that that person has, of course, I would be generous with my resources as well. The problem is it's already been true, proven that's not true. The level of your income does not determine or factor into your generosity. It makes no difference whatsoever. In fact, uh, Luke 21, uh, verses 1 through 4, says it this way. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. As Americans and American Christians, this doesn't make any sense because we're wired and designed to begin to think, well, 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 the rich should give their resources to God, but because she doesn't have any, she's excused. All right, look at her poverty. Look at her situation. She shouldn't have to give. Jesus doesn't say that, though. That should cause us to stop for a second. He doesn't say, all right, stop, everybody. Hey, services, we got to stop. This poor widow, uh, some of you guys saw, she gave everything that she has. Let's let's actually take a collection for her. Let's actually take those two and give it back to her. That's not what he does. He actually points to her and says, she's the most generous person in the room. Our generosity is not dictated by our income. It's by our hearts and our love and connection to him. Uh, Let me give you uh, one more example that doesn't excuse us from giving based on income, doesn't excuse us from giving based on our debt or our circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes these words, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their, don't miss this, extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. But, but what if they had debt? Shouldn't, shouldn't they focus on that first? Wait, wait a minute, what, but, but what about their poverty? Shouldn't they, shouldn't they worry about their circumstances first? And Paul says, no, look how generous these people are. And notice the phrase, they urgently pleaded with us. Now, how hilarious would it be if all of a sudden Tyler got up, gave his little offering conversation, and the buckets started coming down the aisles. And all of a sudden you jumped out of your seat. You're like, give me that bucket! 
I said, I want to give. Somebody says, no, you ain't giving. I'm giving first. And you're just grabbing it from each other. And this big brawl that begins to take place. And everybody's sitting back like, this is awesome. You know, what's happening here? Because you're urgently pleading. You just can't wait for that bucket to come by. You can't wait to, to, to give more because of what God has done in your life. It compels you. It gets you excited about the work and the things of God, regardless of our circumstances. Give it generously. Now, one of the things I do want to say, I've been here four and a half years, and I've never been a part of a more generous church. It's one thing that I think that as a church, God looks down on and says, you guys are on the right track. Let me give you just a brief idea of this. In addition to people's tithes and offerings, in addition to people putting God first, we take up a couple special offerings a year. One of those is called Joy to the World, where on Christmas Eve, we tell you ahead of time that every dollar that comes in goes outside these walls, 100%, every dollar, to support specific works in our community, in our nation, and around the world, all in the name of Jesus. Well, I want to let you know that we received over $116,000 that came in just in that one weekend. Can we just praise God for that? Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> It's one of the largest single offerings in the history of our church. It is absolutely amazing. And these are some of the things that it's already working towards helping to be able to reach and help others. We're helping to finalize an adoption through Child's Hope Spokane. We're sending five foster kids already to camp. We relocated six traffic victims through the Jonah Project. We've provided 20 kids from Trentwood and Green Acres Elementary to join a sport or a club. We bought 20 hype chairs for women in crisis pregnancy situations. We bought new AV equipment for the UGM Chapel. We built a church building in Uganda in a place called Kanara because they don't even have a place to meet. We built a building for them already, furnishing six classrooms at a training school for our Asian missionaries. And this is just the beginning of where these resources are used in Jesus' name. Now, here's what's astounding to me. We've seen offerings like that that's pretty amazing, but just a few weeks earlier, we told you about an opportunity to partner along with the widows in Uganda. And so you know, as of this last week, over $140,000 has come in to help the widows and orphans in Uganda. Can we praise God for that? Isn't that amazing? It's like 60 plus homes and hundreds and hundreds of orphans in Uganda. These two, you know, initiatives took place within weeks of each other. So just to give you an idea, in as like a six to eight week period, over $257,000 came in cash to support these works of generosity. Now that's something to praise God for. That's incredible. Absolutely Incredible. And that's above and beyond the ties that come in on a regular basis. It hasn't hit that and negated that. And so it just shows me again the heart of Valley Real Life and the heart of generosity. Now, which leads us to the final thing that God says about resources. Seventh, invest it for eternity. Invest it for eternity. That's what he says about resources. In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal, store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, give your treasures away 
to the things that will make an eternal impact in the lives of others, starting with the church in which Christ died for and then other opportunities to be used in, by God in other ways in this area and around the world. In fact, I want to show you a, a, a couple you know, who kind of got this idea when it came to this even being their home church. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. I could, I could start because I was here longer. You so like, um, my name is Shayla McGee and I've gone to Valley Real Life for the past 12 years. And I started uh, when I was 10 years old with my family. We went to Post Falls Real Life and then we were one of the first, I think you said 125 families that were a part of um, the development of Valley Real Life. In college, when I finally convinced her to go on, on a date with me and then we eventually got married, we were trying to figure out if this was our church or if we were just here because our parents were there. And our core group of friends had all kind of dispersed. Everyone was going to school, everybody was getting married, and we had to figure out if this was our church. We found a small group. We found this awesome group of friends. I, we joined groups outside of our small group, and we realized as adults, this is our church. You don't just pray that God's gonna, gonna grow your church and grow, um, grow the kids' ministry without actually contributing in some sort of way. So I know that when we feel a calling that we need to do something about it as, as a couple and as a family. <laughs> That's a smart man right there. <laughs> what she said. <laughs> so my question becomes, as we wrap up this conversation this morning, as we wrap up this series before Barry comes next week and gives us just an encouraging word along these lines, what is your next step? What is your next step in following God's plan for giving? It's one thing to say we're going to do something. It's a whole other thing to actually make a commitment. So as you came in, you know, uh, you might have seen uh, one of these, and if you haven't grabbed it already, grab one of these, you know, uh, little cards. It's uh, on a seat next to you. It's about every third seat that's there. Uh, this is uh, our, our, our commitment card. This is our decision card. And you'll see on one side, you have an opportunity you know, to check you know, one of the boxes on one side. But then you can see on the other side that says, what kind of giver are you? And I want you to do this you know, at Otis as well. Now, this is when I begin to hear from some of you, even though you're not saying a word, I knew it. They said this is about me. This is about their church. Bait and switch. Here it comes. I was waiting four weeks, and finally they did it. That's not what this is. Here's what I know about my life. I need encouragement, and I need accountability in any area that I make a decision to do something that I'm not currently doing. And what this is for is to say, you know what? For me, for my spouse, for our family, whatever situation you find yourself in, for you to write something down and check it is one thing. But 30 days from now, you're going to get an encouraging, not a guilt-ridden, an encouraging note for myself. Then 60 days after that, you're going to get another encouragement, another you know, form of how's it going? Are you on the right track? And then 90 days after that, you're going to get another one. Just encouragement, just to walk along the side the journey that God has called you as you decided to make a decision to follow him. Now, you've heard me say this before. Let me say it again. If you still think this is about Valley Real Life, and you don't experience the blessings that we have talked about over these last four weeks, after 90 days, we will give you your money back. You don't get that very often. Now, I, I said this uh, last, uh, last fall, nobody's asked for their money back yet. It's either a good thing or they just forgot, and I'm going to get some emails this afternoon. So I don't know <laughs> what that is. 
But it is my challenge because this really is for you. And we said, what's another step that we can come alongside to encourage you? This is one of those steps. And so let me kind of walk this through with you as you look at this. Remember the goal. It's not about resources. Actually, the goal is to grow your faith and your trust in him. So all of us, all of us at one point have been hesitant givers. It means that we give to things that matter to us. We give a little bit to charity. We may give a little bit to church. Maybe we put a few dollars in the joy to the world. And that was kind of our, our first opportunity to give. So here's the challenge. Here's the decision. Is God calling you to move from a hesitant giver to a committed or consistent giver? To a committed or consistent giver. What this means is that you're saying, you know what? I've understood what God says about resources. So I'm going to move from just giving when I feel like it to actually giving regularly. Whatever amount that may be, I'm going to maybe set it up. I was talking to a guy on, uh, yesterday at the Jeff Kemp thing that we had, which was awesome, by the way. You know, it was like 225, 250 guys, you know, that were here listening to him. But I was talking to him afterwards, and one of the things that he talked about, he's like, man, I, can, I never remember when to give, and do I give when I feel like it? And I knew what I was talking to him about. I'm like, oh, you're, you're in that hesitant category. I said, you know the best thing that helped me, because I can't remember about these things as well. He said, what's that? I said, automate it. I said, I automate what I value right? So that I don't miss the things that I care about and then start paying extra on those things. And so that will bring consistency in your life. And so maybe that's your decision. Uh, but maybe you've already been a committed or consistent giver. That's something that you do. It's, it's, it's a weekly, it's a monthly, you know, uh, maybe even it's a yearly thing that you do. Maybe you're going to move from being a consistent giver to an obedient giver. Obedient giver says, I am now working towards the tithe. I know what God says about 10%, and I am now, I'm kind of that four, five, six, I'm going to push to that 10% and test God and trust him in this and see what happens in my life. Maybe that's your next step. Uh, maybe your decision today is to move from an obedient giver to an abundant giver. Abundant giver says, you know what, I, I, I've been the consistent I've done this automated. I do the 10%. That's kind of a habit that I'm in. I've realized that God wants me to go to another step and to find other places outside the church even to give above and beyond. And those are those things like we talked about, the, the widows and the, and the orphans and the things in our community and, and the joy to the world offerings and those kinds of things that says, you know what, above and beyond, I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to become an abundant giver. Or maybe your decision today or in the next couple of weeks, is to move from being an abundant giver to a generous giver. And a generous giver is somebody who's tithed on a regular basis. They're giving even extra to the things that God kind of lays upon their heart in support of other things that may be going on, but they also go to the final step, which is to sacrifice intentionally things in their life to go without in order to give even more to the things of God. You mean, there's one thing to give, there's one thing to give abundantly, and then there's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally start going without in order to then give to what God has called me to give. All in the name of Jesus Christ. So what is your decision? And this is something that we want you to process, pray about. You can turn it in at one of the boxes as you leave, or you can take it home and say, you know what, let's talk about this and then bring it again next week or the week following, and we will be an encouragement in your life. You see, we need to use the money God gives to reach the people that God loves. That's who we need to be. And here's what I want to tell you, is as a church, we've been talking these last four weeks about this is what God wants for you. In the fall, open-handed, as God continues to direct, 
We're talking about doing a financial campaign because we know what God wants from you to impact other people in this community. And maybe that's part of your thought process as you begin to go, that you begin at least to pray as we head down this road that God seems to be leading us in. One last thing. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe what we've been talking about the last few weeks, talk to somebody else who is practicing the next step where you want to go. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to that have affirmed what we have talked about, saying, Dan, I've lived this, I'm practicing this, and it is true. It's real in my life. See, our tendency is to talk to people who believe like us and live like us instead of talking to the people who are at the next step beyond us. So we talk to somebody else. Well, I don't know what the Bible, I don't, I'm not a cheerful giver, so I'm not gonna give it all. Yeah, that's right, that's good, that's good word right there. And so you're talking to other people like, no, 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 talk to the person who is giving. Talk to the person who is tithing. Talk to the person who is tithing and then some. Talk to the person who's sacrificing and ask them. Don't listen to me. Ask them, those who are practicing this, what's taken place in their life when they've put God first and have made that decision. You may be very encouraged and very challenged with what they have to say. So here's what I would say as we kind of wrap this up, which I believe best reflects God's word. And I'm a Dave Ramsey fan, but I'm going to twist his words just a little bit because I believe this is what best reflects God's word. Live and give like no one else so that you can live and give like no one else. It's the abundant life that he's called us to live regardless of our situation or circumstance. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would just guide us as we make a decision to follow you or to put you first when it comes to resources. Whatever that decision may be, Lord, this is between them and you now. Lord, you know what you want for them. And I pray that they would make a bold decision that would bring blessings in their life and the lives of those around them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.